My name is Scott Challoner and you are listening to the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. As regular listeners of our programme will know very well, part of our mission here at the Leaders' Council is to bring you a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. And to this end, we're joined on today's programme once again by Mike Legasic, Director and Behavioural Investment Coach at Manning & Company, a long-established financial advice practice based in Devon. Um, Mike, a very warm welcome to to yourself and uh, by all means thank you for coming back to the show it's a pleasure having you again and thanks for having me on again it's always nice to have a chat with you scott Always a pleasure having yourself on as well, Mike. Um, and we talked an awful lot about sort of investors and sort of what they kind of need to do to sort of maximise um, their ROI on the last programme. But uh, this time, we're going to be sort of talking more about that within the context of the current economic situation with, you know, the cost of living, obviously with um, inflationary pressures, but also the fact that we're recording this podcast on September the 5th as well, meaning that um, by, well, by the time we air, we'll know who the new Prime Minister is. But at this point in time we don't actually know so um it's good there's a lot going on um a lot that's investing the uh, the markets of course um so from your perspective just to begin with from a general point of view what do investors need to be looking at in the context of the current volatile economic situation that we find ourselves in the most important thing that investors should be doing now is as difficult as it is trying to manage their emotions and their behavior to what's going on at the moment I always try to instill in my clients that um, tough times will come and go. I mean, um, Albert Einstein once said, history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. We're in one of those very, very difficult global economic downturns. There's an awful lot going on. You could call it a perfect storm, I guess. I think if anyone has forecasted what we're going through in the last two years and right now, you're probably better in reporting it from the confines of a padded cell because Mm. it's, it's... Unbelievable what's going on. But um, yeah, 70% of what I do with my clients, and it's been for a number of years, a good 70% of what I do is manage client behaviors. It's making sure they don't do the wrong things at the wrong time for the wrong reasons. Clients that I deal with predominantly I, um, are rest of life investors. I mean, I call them rollies, R O L I, rest of life investors. Mm-hmm. So they're investing up to and throughout retirement. And for most people, that's going to be sort of mid-50s. And with a fair wind, if you're a married couple, one of you should be statistically hitting your late 80s at least. So that's a 30-year period. Um, and the problem that many clients are understandably going through right now is of all the biases that humans have as investors, um, the prominent one right now is something called recency bias. And they're going to be affected by it whether they know it or not unless they're very experienced investors. And what recency bias is, is basically um, basing everything what's going on uh, right now, clients thinking this is what the way it's going to be permanently. Mm. So they're basing short and long-term decisions on what's just happening now, what's been happening recently, hence recency bias. It's a very dangerous thing to do because if people try to get in and out of the market by trying to get an edge, it's really, in my opinion, impossible to do consistently. Um, and I think it would cause a lot more financial pain and regret further than the line. If they try to get in, get out, get in, get out, change, move things around, it, it all comes under the banner of trying to time the stock market, which no one can do. Even the great Warren Buffett admits that he can't do that. Um, so, yeah, managing people's behavior is what I've been concentrating on. 
over the last couple of years before just really on the cusp of when COVID was coming out. Mm. Yeah, I remember you sort of talking a little bit about this on uh, the previous uh, show that you were uh, that you came on, and um, it was kind of a, uh, we used the analogy of almost like being on a roller coaster, didn't we? And when you're going upside down through the loop de loop, and then if you're trying to think, oh dear, this is terrible, I, I need to get off. If you manage to succeed in getting out of that point in time, you're probably looking at more permanent loss than you would be if you know just waited it out until the end of the uh, the loop, and then just wait and see where you are there. So it just goes to show that there's you know, there's there's benefit in waiting, isn't there, even through sort of the volatility? Yeah, there's, oh, there's great benefit, there's no question, but it's a very, very difficult thing to do. Um, if you've got your retirement savings um, put to one side and you see that you're not, your, your values are going down, um, I mean, I try to tell clients not to look at their investments every day or every week, but humans are humans. Human nature is a failed investor, unfortunately. Mm. We're not hardwired to be good investors. We tend to panic. And when I, when I say to clients, what do you think the biggest mistake investors make is, and most of them say, oh, panicking. But panicking, in my opinion, is too broad a term. I think you need to go and look at the bonnet of panicking and say, yeah, we understand what panic means. It's very generic. What causes the panic? And what causes the panic nine times out of ten is what we just discussed, that roller coaster analogy. The biggest cause of panic, as far as investors are concerned, is confusing volatility with the permanent loss of capital. Hence the roller coaster analogy, the ups and downs, the loop the loops, the swings, you know, the high highs and lows, all that is volatility. But at the end of the roller coaster you get out and you have to jump jump to the front of the queue again and you never do it again. But um you're absolutely right. Getting your if you could if you were able to get yourself out of your seat upside down, mid loop the loop, then you are looking at permanent loss. So you don't get yourself out of the roller coaster when you're upside down in it. And this is where a lot of people are right now. Um, I send clients one or two newsletters a month, uh, and it's not really all about market commentary. It's more about managing their behavior and sticking to their long-term plan. And thankfully, my phone's not been ringing up with people ready to jump off the ledge. So I look to refer to it as a regular shot of sanity serum, financial vitamin C, if you like. So I I know I need to keep giving that serum because as time moves on, they'll tend to forget. So it's reminding people of, trying as hard as it is to focus on what they can control and try to detach themselves from things that they have no control over, such as the economy and such. And how do you sort of go about reassuring people in this way? Are there any sort of specific techniques that you would use to try and sort of calm the nerves of investors and just reassure them that, you know, this is the long-term plan, we need to stick to it here and we, we can't be sort of succumbing to the panic as it were? Yeah, I mean, it, it basically goes back to that, you know, that roller coaster. And what I do is, I, 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 history is a good barometer. I mean, if you want to know what's going to happen in the future, then a long-term history is a pretty good, is proven to be a pretty good indicator of how things might pan out. So, if, if you look at things like temporary downturns, we, we've had it. We've had worse scenarios than this. We've had two world wars. Um, you know, we've had tsunamis, 9/11, the dot-com bubble, the winter of discontent, 73 interest rates at 15%, you know, around that in the 80s. I mean, you know, as I said, what what um, Albert Einstein says, history doesn't repeat itself, it often rhymes. But the four most dangerous words in investing are, this time it's different. Well, it's not different. It just feels that way a lot of the time, but this too shall pass. 
And if you look at all these major events where markets have fallen 20 or 30 percent, and then you look at the history of what markets have done in the subsequent five to 10 years, you generally see significant, huge gains. So the people that get rewarded are the ones that are resolute and do stick to the plan. Now, that doesn't mean that clients don't have to change their plans, obviously. And um, with the cost of living raging and likely to increase, you know, certainly through this year and in 2023, before it starts coming down again, people, I do tell clients, but sometimes you might have to pull your belt in. Mm. And, and I sometimes have got to tell clients things that they don't want to hear. So, so looking at things like cash flow modeling, what they're, what they're spending per month, and how they can reduce their costs. I mean, COVID was a great example. I had a number of clients in what they call flexible access drawdown retirement plans who were taking a fixed level of income. And then COVID came, and of course, they couldn't go anywhere. They couldn't travel, so expenditure dropped dramatically. And I had to contact all those clients and say, look, do you still need the amount of income you're taking because you're not spending on anything? And clients being clients, most of them were grateful for the nudge and said, you know what, I never thought about it. It's just accumulating in the bank. So we had to turn that tap down. And I said, look, when the doors open again and we can begin to travel as COVID starts going in the rear view mirror, that's when we can turn the income back on again. So, so managing behavior is one thing and also doing the job of a financial advisor, which is making sure that clients are managing their accounts in the appropriate manner based on the underlying circumstances. So it's, it's a constant education, constant monitoring, and making sure that clients, you know, clearly understand that they need to contact me if they have a wobble or a change in opinion. Yeah, so managing behaviour certainly and just making sure you're managing your accounts properly is one thing. Um, during times of inflation, however, and we talked again about inflation on the last programme, calling it sort of the silent assassin for investors, um, is there anything that you should be looking to invest in in particular during inflationary times? Because I do recall that um, Warren Buffett, who we talked about already, he did sort of talk an awful lot about this sort of thing, didn't he? Well, a lot of people run to gold and this, uh, as, as, a, as an asset class. Warren Buffett's not a big fan of it, I must admit. Um, I'm not a big fan of it personally. It comes down to the size of client portfolios, how diversified they are. Now, we all know that globally we're having a tough time, but there are always winners as well as losers. I mean, a classic case in point is, had you invested in Amazon and Netflix during the COVID pandemic, you probably would have made a significant amount of money if you'd managed to get in and out at the right, at the right time because everyone was sitting at home as couch potatoes watching the TV. Amazon shopping went through the roof, so profits were soaring. So there's always going to be winners as well as losers. I, I take a very, I think, pragmatic and um, simple approach. And it's two fundamentals I um, use with all my clients. Number one, massive global diversification is key. So not all the old all eggs in one basket. I never try to chase particular asset classes in different turns of the market because, again, that's market timing, and I can't do that. I always tell my clients, if I could do market timing, I wouldn't be talking to them. I'd probably be on my own island in the Bahamas somewhere, and so would all the people that report afterwards about this. So basically, keep it very, very highly diversified, and as every bit as significantly, in my opinion, keep costs low. So the majority of my clients are in hugely diversified global index tracking funds, which are extremely cheap to run. Because when it comes to investing, apart from level of service, which is a given, 
there are only two things that clients ought to be interested in over the long term. One is uh, performance and the other one is charges. And you and I both know that only one of those is guaranteed. The only thing a client knows from the outset is how much they're paying. No one can tell them what their returns are going to be because nobody can tell what the market's going to do. So I personally am a keen advocate of keeping costs low, keep, keep investment charges low, and um, try my best to constantly manage their behavior so they don't run down that wrong road of the roller coaster and getting themselves out of the seat. So I, I'm not one for trying to move things around every five minutes to try and say, oh, it's better over here now, it's better over there now, because I find it would be impossible to do that. So um, as, as John Bogle said, who, who founded Vanguard, which is great, it's a phrase I love talking out, he, he came out and said, instead of trying to find the needle in the haystack, just buy the haystack. Mm. Because the, the good stuff is in as well as the bad, and when things, you know, because diversification historically has always gotten you out of trouble over the long term. Yeah, diversification is really, really important, isn't it? And I think it's important as well not to, as you mentioned there as well, sort of get sucked into what's good here and now as well, because I suppose looking for sort of quick returns on investment, um, get rich quick schemes that we've again talked about before, that certainly during times like this can also be quite dangerous, can't it? So it's about sort of making sure that investors sort of don't get sucked into something like that as well. Yeah, I mean, look, if you if you look at Warren Buffett and Jeff Bezos who owns Amazon, you've got two of the wealthiest people on the planet. And there was a great conversation between those two uh, a couple of years ago. And, and Jeff Bezos, I'm paraphrasing, but Jeff Bezos spoke to Warren Buffett and said, Warren, your ideology, your your process is so simple, it's cheap and it's effective, and it's proven to have worked year out, you know, spending decades over history. Why don't people simply replicate what you do and what you advocate? Why don't they do that? It's because it's proven and it's simple for the long term. And Warren Buffett said, well, that's easy, Jeff, because um, nobody wants to get rich slowly these days. So, you know, we all know it. If it looks, if it looks too good to be true, it normally is. And if I can just use this, you know, the one that's hot on everyone's mouths at the moment is Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. I, I get mm. asked about that a lot. Uh, it's not something I get involved in at all. But I have had the old client say, well, what do you think? And I just give them my honest opinion. I, I don't think a lot of it, like Warren Buffett doesn't think a lot of it. It's an extremely volatile asset class. There's no tangible, you're not buying anything tangible there. Bitcoin doesn't make and sell things globally. Um, and it's extremely volatile. I just basically say to clients, look, if, if you want to dip into Bitcoin or cryptocurrency and you've got an amount of money that you could lose in its entirety, and it wouldn't have any effect on your standard of living or your family security, then knock yourself out and do it. It won't be on my watch, and I won't be advising you to do it. But if you've got the money that you can effectively lose, and, and it won't make any difference to your lifestyle, then, then fine, if you want to take a punt. But it comes back to this market timing thing. Every time anyone attempts to time the stock market, they must realize that they've got to get both aspects of it right every time. They've got to know when to get in and when to get out every single time they attempt it. And it's nigh on impossible to do that. You might get it by luck once or twice, but certainly not by research. I mean, Bloomberg, I mean, I mean the great thing about Bloomberg is that they do provide incredible tools and, and, and information for financial institutions around the world. It's a fantastic, amazing system. But the problem is now, I do believe in this sort of zero-sum game situation we're in. If you get two um, difference of opinion, if, if you and I got the same amount of um, uh, financial information from Bloomberg on a Monday morning, 
uh, you and I are probably likely to interpret it differently. You may take a view and think, I think we should be putting money here, and I might say disagree, well, I don't understand that. I think it should be going over here. But we both can't win. So it's a zero-sum game. But one to win, one must lose. So I say it's always difficult. Um, I think it's very difficult for clients to get blindsided by financial headlines in media and say, invest in this, invest in that. And, of course, the other very dangerous thing out there is unregulated individuals on social media like Facebook and TikTok professing them to be financial experts and they're only relatively young people look how much money we've made on doing this again get rich quick schemes a lot of people get sucked into it and there's a very very you know many cases of people crying in their beer about losing life savings or significant amount of money because unfortunately that old saying of fooling with money you know it's still around it's quite prevalent particularly in these days when people are trying to find a quick fix to a difficult situation it's um, disappointing when you read these stories, but completely understandable also. Yeah, I suppose as humans, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think we always just seem to look for quick fixes and quick wins, don't we? Sort of the uh, the patience isn't there. But sometimes, certainly during times of volatility, patience is one of those things that you need the most. And uh, something uh, that I came across sort of looking into this topic uh, myself, actually, was um, when you talk about sort of managing your portfolios during times like this, um, it can be generally sort of a difficult time for bond markets, but can be quite productive for stock markets. So is reallocating your portfolio from bonds into stocks also something that maybe investors could consider at a time like this? They could consider it, but again, it all comes down to getting the timing right. When you come mm. in and out of bonds, your asset allocation, look, if you put it in layman's terms, it, I try, like I said, I, I know I harp on about trying to keep things simple and honest with clients, but I am, I am, it's just part of who I am. I look at the long term. I don't have one client that's in this for one, three, five, or 10 years, not one. All my clients will be invested right until the day they die. They're going to take money out. They're going to spend it because that's what it's there for. But by and large, they want to be able to take a, a sustainable level of income from a highly diversified portfolio to keep an independent and dignified retirement. So the minute I... The minute I might say to them, well, why don't you adjust your weight in here? Again, I know it sounds like a broken record, but I'm sort of going back to market timing. Because then you've got a, a whole different group of individuals at different ages, slightly different attitudes to investment risk. And and to manage all of those on an extremely individual basis, saying, well, you should be more in bonds now, and you should be less because the level of income you want to take, it's, it would be a very, very difficult thing to do, not impossible. Like I said, I keep it simple. I say, look what the market's done over 20, 30, 40 years, the general stock market. If you want to capture that level of historic return, then go back to John Bogle and don't try to find the needle in the haystack, buy the haystack. Yes, there will be tough times. When I write, when I write a report for a client, for an investment, um, uh, when I do my suitability report on a new investment or pension, mm. I never, I never verbally and in written, I never say to the client, your investments can fall as well as rise. I never. What I do say is your investments are categorically going to fall in value from time to time. Because to say anything other than that, I am then committing that it's going to go up every day, week, month, and year, which is never going to happen. So I, I always tell them your investments are categorically going to fall in value from time to time. Um, and then they go, that's fine, I understand it. And I show them empirical evidence of the swings and the big things that can happen and how the markets have recovered. And they take it on board. 
And I know that famous saying from Mike Tyson when he was knocking everyone out when he was 21, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Mm. <laughs> and then it all goes out of the window. So, and I, and I write that in my suitability letters. I say that everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face, Mike Tyson. So to try and illustrate that point, that everything's fine until it's not. And no matter how well a client says, yeah, I understand it, I can see it. It's when it happens, when it's a reality, because people obviously, you know, the, a fear of loss, they, you know, um, uh, psychiatrists and, and such like, they, they believe that humans are affected two to three times more the fear of loss than the prospect of gain. Losing something you already have, albeit temporarily, hurts an awful lot more than what you might gain in the future. So, it, again, it's these mind games. Um, on my website, um, my, my client investor website, saverbehavior.co.uk, I've got a section on there called Mind Games, which with a number of animated short videos, which explain how these affect our, uh, our psyches and how, how best to try and deal with them. Again, it's very, very easy to say it, but it's extremely difficult to do and stick to it, particularly if you're a new investor and you've not experienced this before. Prior to COVID, really, if you've been invested, you know, for a good decade or so before, clients would only have seen blue skies. They would have just looked at the statements every year and thought, well, this, this lot of investing lot is easy. Every time I get my investment statement, it's gone off. It's like falling off a log. It's so simple. But again, Mike Tyson until you get punched in the face. So that's why I'm always planning clients. I'm always tempering it, saying, look, things will come. If it's not one thing, it'll be, if it's not COVID, it'll be Ukraine. It'll be uh, a dot-com bubble. It'll be a fad that's coming gone. These things are, it's the nature of the market, but you must remain resolute and try not to tinker and fiddle too much. Because history proves if you just ride it out, you will get the returns that, you know, you are, the, for the patient investor, the patient investor gets the return. And do you think when we're sort of talking about sort of younger investors, do you think that maybe there is more of a lack of that patience compared to maybe some older and more experienced investors? Or did you, have you ever noticed that when you've been sort of trying to manage investor behavior? Absolutely. Without a chronic, without a shadow of that. You know, you're looking at the, you know, the, the, um, the uh, millennials. I mean, you know, kids these days, the phones are welded to their hands. So it's TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, Insta, Instagram, you know, all day long. And they're getting bombarded with these people purporting to be advisors and they've seen quick money being made and they're very familiar with you know, the digital world we live in. And they think, well, I can do that. I can do that. But, they, you know, more often than not, they're going to get their fingers burnt. Yes, there'll be some lucky people that hit it right and by pure chance make an absolute fortune. They're going to go to the pub. They're going to tell everyone what a brilliant genius they are. Everyone's going to jump in to some degree and they're all going to get their fingers burnt. So, it's financial education is sadly lacking in this country, unfortunately. Uh, I think it should be taught at schools towards mm. the end of your secondary school career. The, the basic fundamentals of investing, I, and I, I say this to the FCA as well, our regulator, I don't think enough plain English, common sense, truths, um, uh, and scenarios have been explained to, uh, to kids that are leaving school and going out into the big wide world. I mean, I've spoken to young kids. They don't know the difference between a credit card and a debit card. I mean, it is frightening. Um, and they're going to start a job and a career. My, my personal opinion is that if, if there was far better plain English, honest education around investing fundamentals, basics, the basic stuff that everyone needs to know, 
if that was ruled out, we would have far better client outcomes and a significant less amount of complaints mm. through people and miseducation and misunderstanding. Um, education is key. I can't stress that strongly enough. You could argue effectively, I am constantly re-educating my clients by my newsletters and my regular shots of sanity serum. I'm doing it every month. And that's why I'm not getting people wholesale panicking, even in the difficult market we're in at the moment. And I suppose what that avoids as well is when you get sort of a disgruntled client that has had their fingers burnt by something, they're not going to be on the phone saying, oh, well, you never said this was going to happen to my investment because, you know, you've been playing straight and up front with them. And obviously, I think when you find that clients are sort of in with those advisors where there is an overload of industry jargon and they don't quite understand exactly what's going on, sometimes that scenario can uh, can happen quite frequently. Yes, it does. I mean, half of my suitability letters are around behavioral economics in plain English, giving real-world examples. I say to my clients, my job is not to talk you down from the ledge. My job is to make sure you never feel the impetus to get up there in the first place. So it's being brutally honest. I must admit, I would guess over the last 10 or 12 years, it's been incredibly liberating to be brutally honest with clients. I mean, look, you know, you've got to be honest with clients. They would expect nothing less. When I say brutally honest, uh, brutally honest, I mean, I'm not always painting sunny day deep, um, uh, investment patterns. I am throwing in the, the bad rocks, the thunderstorms, and all the rest of it. I'm throwing in the really, really bad stuff to try and say that these things can do and will happen. You must understand this. It's not plain sailing. And my, my um, part of the suitability letter, which is quite in-depth about behavioral side of things, seems to work because... You just took the words right into my mouth. That's one phrase I say to clients all the time. I tell my clients, I never want my phone to ring with someone to say to me, you never said this could happen. Yes, I did. And it's recorded and it's in the letter and it's been put on with a trowel, you know, laid on with a trowel. I never want my clients ringing me saying, you never said this could happen. Managing behavior and expectations is key. Behavior and managing clients' expectations. You know, it's the old one, you know, under-promise, over-deliver. It's all old school, I understand. It all sounds cliche. But now more than ever in this extremely difficult climate, that really does ring true. Um, People really need to understand the fundamentals of what's going on at the moment, what impact it's going to have on them in the future. Because at the end of the day, all this financial planning we do and all the jargon and all the white noise that comes with our profession fundamentally it only boils down to one thing a client just wants to know am i ever going to run out of money that's it really mm. and the rest of it's just white noise and nonsense and you know jargon and marketing rubbish that media has to do else they go to business and, and, I, and I, I try my hardest to tell my clients to turn off the financial porn the, the, the sensationalist headlines you know it's I mean, I mean, even Bloomberg have been guilty of it, which was quite disappointing. Back along in the COVID situation, I think they had a headline that read something like, um, uh, Jeff Bezos has just lost $15 billion. He hadn't lost anything. Mm. That was a misleading headline. He, Jeff Bezos is not going to cash an investment who's in his own company when the market hits a tough time. So when, when Amazon went through the roof and they had their low, and then the bad times hit, you know, now if you read that, if you're an, an uneducated investor, you that you, that reads as he has lost a significant amount of money, although we can easily afford to lose it. But I mean, the headline should have been Jeff Bezos' wealth is temporarily fallen by fifteen billion dollars. Mm. But that doesn't get that doesn't make a good headline. <laughs> so the media 
I think are uh, culpable because I think, I mean, the COVID situation. If, if, imagine if you were imagine if you were living on your own and you suffered from anxiety a little, and um, you're, you're, you're holed up in your house, and all you've got is Sky TV or news to watch, and then you read the news and it says, "Oh, the stock markets are having a terrible time." No contacts, which is a key thing, and your pension and your life savings are in there. You, now you're also you're you're, you're um, at the same time, you're feeling anxious because of your own mortality with COVID. You're not going to see family members. You're isolated. And on top of that, they put these fantastic headlines on saying stock markets tumbled 25%, bad news for savers, pensioners. I mean, how on earth is someone who suffers from anxious and anxiety going to deal with that? They never add any context. If they put some context into it, they could give a sensation as headline. But if they gave context in long-term history and said, well, look, you know, 25 you know, billion wiped off the stock market today, but hey, 68 billion wiped onto the stock market in the last seven years. There's never any context, and I find that very frustrating. Yeah, context, it's, it's incredibly important, isn't it, when it comes to problems, because... Um our perception of everything depends on the context we always evaluate everything by sort of comparing it to something don't we and when when we obviously compare it to the wrong things that can lead to the irrational and illogical decisions and it can fuel some of the biases that we have because we can be given misleading information and we can then process that information in the wrong way and obviously because some of our biases as well are basically um, sort of derived from the experiences that we have and the content that we're exposed to. You are absolutely right in what you're saying, that it's like what is being filtered through to people, through the news, through other um, elements of the media, that does have a lot to answer for. And I think this just, just goes to show that being educated in finance, being educated in investment is going to be so, so important from sort of not necessarily the formative years, but at least obviously pre-16 so that, you know, when people come into the point where they take charge of their own finances, they are very, very aware of these facts. Yeah, I mean, education is insulation. You're insulating yourself from all the nonsense, the merry-go-round of media of just pumping out stuff that's only going to be scaremongering the public. Now, how does that help? If, it, if it's scaremongers, a lot of uneducated investors, then they're going to be making some serious mistakes. That's going to have a knock-on effect of their own personal wealth and well-being. It's going to have a knock-on effect of the economy. It's going to have a knock-on effect of the people that are influenced by these people, the friends they speak to. What, is, what are you doing? I'm saying, well, what are you doing? Well, I decided to cash in, and I'm going to wait for the market to come back again. Oh, well, I'll, you're pretty switched on. I think I'll do the same thing. I mean, the ramifications are incredibly far-reaching, extremely damaging. I, I really don't understand what the hidden agenda is. It would be a real breath of fresh air if they had someone on and said, look, we're going to speak to someone now who's going to put this into a great deal of historic context in plain English. And then someone might be about to jump off the roof and they'll come back and they'll go, well, actually, no, I think about the as I thought they were. Oh, I can see now. Ah, right, that makes sense to me now. But just banging a headline out with no context. It just scaremongers in fuels anxiety. And I, I think it's really irresponsible by the, the big media, you know, the, the main TV channels. They've all done it. Uh, and I just I don't understand what their agenda is. It, yes, it makes a good headline. Mm. But somebody surely must be thinking, what damage is this doing to investors? And how is it affecting their mental state? Uh, it's really unforgivable, in my opinion. 
It is, isn't it? And it's um, pretty much the uh, sort of the antithesis to behavioural finance, isn't it? I mean, the behavioural finance side of things is to sort of help people not make the wrong decisions at the wrong time for the wrong reason and be able to sort of manage their assets in the right way. And obviously, sensationalist headlines like this, they're very much the opposite of that. And uh, that's something that we certainly uh, need to, to, to look at, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, we all have these biases. And again, on the website, I've got a section on the website about all the, the, the main biases that affect people, the main ones. And they're just little animated videos. And if you watched all of them, you will soon realize which ones affect you. I've got them, everyone's got them, and you can't get rid of them. They're, they're not difficult to rein in. But the one good thing about those videos is that it helps you, um, it stops you being blindsided by them. So when they start rearing their ugly heads, if you've got a little bit of information about how they can potentially affect you, then you're probably less prone to fall into that trap. You, know, you, you don't want to be the one who's blindly tap dancing into a financial minefield. So it, it all comes down around context and education, which is what I largely focus on with my clients. And, and long-term history is a pretty good indicator of how things are going to pan out. Like I said, the current situation with the Ukraine thing looks like it's going to be going on for God knows how long um, before that, if ever, ever resolves itself. I mean, again, if you look at the news, on what I call it the bad news, you've got the uh, the China, Taiwan, US tensions, that, that's rearing its head again. You've got the Ukraine coming out of COVID, a cost of living crisis. Uh, we've just had the, the dry summers in living memory. I mean, seriously, rising fuel costs, you know, you, you, I guess you wouldn't be human if you thought, really, enough is enough. So all I, the only respite I can take is I can do what I can. The only thing I can do is what I do for my clients and try and get the broader message out there is try and put an arm around them and say, look, I know it looks really bad at the moment. Seriously, you know, it is. It's bad. But don't make it worse by doing something you're going to regret further than the life goes back to what I said, concentrate and act on what you can control. And I know it's not easy to say, but try to disengage with what you have no control over. You know, we don't have control over the economy. We don't have control over the fuel prices ourselves, but it will pass and things will come good again. We're going through one of those tough times. My job is to try and navigate and make sure the clients stay on plan. You know, don't rock that boat. That's, that's, the, that's the only thing I can do for my clients during these times. Exactly that. And uh, for those that are sort of interested in looking at some of these uh, sort of helpful hints and tips as well and learning more about sort of those biases and behavioural finance, uh, saverbehaviour.co.uk is the website you mentioned, isn't it, Mike? And plenty of resources there for people to go and seek out. Yeah, I mean, I, I, as I said, I, um, the book I wrote, Your Money and Your Life, How to mm. Get a Better Return on Your Life and Your Money, which is available on uh, our Amazon, a quick plug in there. But uh, a good part of that book, I cover this in layman's terms, a good part of this, uh, what we're discussing today, um, it, it's not all about money. The book's not all about money. The book is um, about how to get ahead in life and you know, learning from the people that I've learned from, shortcuts to success and um, learning things that you wish you'd known. I mean, experience is that one thing you get just after you needed it. So I've tried to encapsulate what I've learned in business over the last sort of, I don't know, 30 odd years. And from really some smart people that I've been lucky to have um, assisted me over the time. And then and then half of the book is trying to be how to become a better investor and giving clear examples um, uh, and expanding on some of the things we've discussed today. Again, it's all around education. 
it, it, that book is basically everything I wish I'd known when I was 18. Because if I'd known it when I was under 18, knowing one thing, is, knowing something is one thing, but of course you have to act on it. So if, if I knew, if I knew everything that's in that book when I was 18, I've calculated that I've been retired about 45 years old. <laughs> but we don't. We learn by our mistakes, and then time moves on, and there's a little bit of regret in there. You think, well, I wish I'd done that differently, or or I could have put some money away, but I've chosen not to. Because the, the, the long term, the long term effect of compounding over time is incredible. I mean, I, I I don't remember being taught that at school. I'd like to think if I had, it would have resonated. But I don't remember learning the the incredible value of of compound interest over time. I mean, so, something I'll share with clients, and this is trying to get them on the straight and narrow over the long term. And and, and there's and there's an example I use. And, I, and I've done this in front of universities and, and, and colleges in Plymouth. And I've done it in front of solicitors and accountants. And I, and I basically got an A4 sheet of paper. And I said, just just humor me, just fold that piece of paper in half. And I said, let's fold that A4 sheet of paper in half again. And you know that when you get to about seven folds, you, you can't physically fold that piece of paper in half anymore. Just, mm. You just can't do it. You know? So, so I, I showed to you, all these people, I said the same thing. I said, imagine, imagine if you could keep folding that piece of paper in half 50 times. So take away the physics, but imagine you could keep folding that piece of paper in half. How tall do you think that piece of paper would be in inches or meters or miles? or anything? How tall do you think it would be? And the most common answers I get are, oh, it would be three feet tall. It would be eight feet, 10 feet tall. And I tell them, let me tell you something. If you were able to fold a piece of paper in half 50 times, it would reach from here to the sun. That's 93 million miles. And to wrap your head around that, if you then could fold it in half one more time, it would be from the sun and back. Because every time you fold that piece of paper, it's doubling inside, doubling, doubling, doubling. Now, when I first had this explained to me many, many, many years ago, I thought the guy that was explaining to me was a candidate for a padded cell. Well, the men in the white jackets are going to take him away. And then I quickly learned that it was factually true. <laughs> now, if I had understood the power of compounding interest on interest over a long number of years, now I'd like to think that I would have done something about it and acted on it, seeing what the incredible rewards would have been historically. Um, but yeah, it, little things like this are real eye-openers to clients. They can, they can hardly wrap their head around it. But it, imagine knowing that, imagine knowing the power of that when you were younger and when you started work and you thought, well, I can save a few bob, you know, a week or a month because I'm going to be in this for the long game. But the problem we've got when we're younger, we think retirement is just, you know, so way down the line that we don't think to do anything about it. But if you just could save a bit over the long term, Oh my God, what would you be, you know, wouldn't you be grateful for yourself um, further down the line? Because the, the, the power of compounding is, is is astronomical over time, particularly if you look at what historically what the stock market's done. I mean, that's one question I do get asked a lot. Well, you know, what what this stock market, what has it actually done? Now, if you look, if you do any research on Google or the internet, the, the, the best barometer to use probably is the American S&P 500, the S&P 500, Standard & Poor's 500, 500 largest companies in America, it's deemed to be the best barometer because the U.S. forms largely the biggest part of the global economy. And if you look at what the, the, the S&P 500 has done, 
over the last sort of, I don't know, you know, in its, recent, in its different guises, about 100 years, the returns on average, a heavy emphasis on average, not every year, we love it every year, but on average, the long-term return of the S&P 500 has been about 7% a year and just under 10 with dividends reinvested. So you're looking at a long-term, historic long-term return uh, on average of about 10% a year. Now, there have been times when the market's fallen over 40%. But that, but you put all the ups and the downs and the good and the bad, and you extrapolate that over a straight line. And the average return over decades, decades and decades of the largest, most profitable businesses on the planet has been a little under 10% a year. And I try to instill that in clients. I say, look, don't, don't, think of the, don't think about stock market. Don't think about stocks and indices. Think about in the name of companies. You're, you're owning a large collection, a small piece of an extremely large collection of the most profitable businesses in the world that you and I use every day without thinking twice about it. And the other thing I mentioned is, I said, imagine if you've got a bank statement. If you've got one of your current account bank statements now, where does most of your money go? And clients say, well, mortgage, food, utilities, insurance, council tax. You know, I said, yeah, pretty much the same as everyone. So you're paying all these companies these this money because you need to do this to live and function. Who do you think is getting the better deal? You or them? And they go, well, they're the companies do. I say yes, and and yet you have a, you have an aversion to investing in the largest companies on the planet that you know we are lining their pockets by and large every day of our lives. And it often comes back with a wry smile or a laugh of realization. They go, well, yeah, it doesn't make sense, does it? I said no, but I understand why. Because you think about stock market, profit, loss, indices, all this technological rubbish, tech, you know, this jargon. I said, but fundamentally, you and I as investors are owning a very, very, very small part of the hugest companies in the world that we all use every day without thinking twice about it. And they, by and large, by and large, make profits. But they have tough times, no doubt. But over the long term, they'll be around long after you and I have gone. And we can't live without banks, insurance companies, and utilities. So fear of loss is another key one. Um, I'll just cover this over May. The fear of loss obviously is, is obviously very heavy on people's minds. So what I normally tell them, I say, look, can you remember a Black Monday in 1987? Because most of my investors are old enough. And they'll go something like, oh, yeah, yeah, it was a pretty bad time in the stock market. And I said, well, I said, that was and remains to this day the, the, biggest, the biggest stock market crash in UK history. Mm. And, I, and then I explained that they uh, make sure they understand what the FTSE 100 is, the largest one of the companies in the UK. And I, and, I, and I give that context. They understand what the FTSE 100 is. They know what it means. And then I said, well, if you had £100,000 invested the day before Black Monday, how much do you think the 100000 was worth when you come up from work and put the headlines on? Biggest stock market crash in UK history. How much do you think your £100,000 was worth then? Now, I've had a lot of answers on that. And I can tell you the majority of people say, well, nothing. It's gone. You've lost all your money. Stock market crash. Now that's education for you. They don't understand it. So when I tell them, well, no, you're not, the market's on about 24% in 48 hours. So you had about 76, 77,000 pounds left. They go, oh, oh, really? I say, yeah, you wouldn't have lost all your money. So there's any, there's any, you know, in order for you to have lost all of your money, would have meant that the 100 largest companies in the UK went bust overnight and weren't coming back. Yes, you would have lost all your money. So I say to clients, there's only two ways that you can lose all your money in a highly diversified and competitive price contract. There's only two ways. One is someone pressing the red button, and another one is a meteor taking out the planet, which is the same effect. You're looking at an Armageddon. 
Because other than that, you are, you are accepting that we could live and function as a society without banks, retailers, utility companies, fuel companies. That's the end. That's the end of the end of the game. I said, so there, there will be tough times, but everything would have to go for you to lose all your money. The hard thing is managing your behaviour and your plan in your portfolio when these temporary tough times come. Because the, his, the stock market has proved conclusively that the re- reversals are temporary, but the advances are permanent because innovation, you know, profit, profit margins and so on. Human nature is quite intuitive and we keep reaching new highs. So I know it goes back to this layman's terms, context education. I say clients coming to me who've never invested before with a suitcase full of M&Ms. And I'm not talking about the chocolate variety. <laughs> I'm talking about myths, misconceptions, and misunderstandings. My job is to make sure they go out more informed than they came in so they can make a fully informed choice. It's food for thought for anybody, isn't it? And I do, I do particularly like what you said about the fact that it's not just about the money. It's about sort of living a fulfilled life and the fact that life isn't a rehearsal and this is your valuable time here and think about how you're using that valuable time and, you know, approach it with the right mentality don't think of losses as permanent think of them as temporary and look at the long-term gains and I think like I say there's there's a there's a lot to be gained from approaching it in that way and it's a fantastic way of looking at things and I would certainly encourage anybody tuning into this podcast today to look at Mike's website saveyourbehaviour.co.uk there's some fantastic resources and really thought-provoking stuff on there and um, Mike I have to thank you again as well uh, for joining us on the uh, the show again I mean it's uh, it's a chain that we just about ran out of time on the podcast today but it's been great having you always is and uh, yeah certainly looking forward to uh, welcoming you on the uh, the show again in futures I'm certain we will Scott, thank you ever so much for having me on. I always enjoy it. It's a nice platform to have, and I'm very grateful for the Leaders Council to give me the airtime. It's really grateful, and I hope to see you and speak to you again soon. Yeah, it'll be fantastic. And uh, for anybody as well that's tuning into this podcast today, if you do have your own uh, sort of comment or thought to leave on uh, the issues that we have discussed today, um, you can do that via leaderscouncil with an il.co.uk forward slash contact hyphen us. Or if you are your own business owner or the head of an organization yourself and you feel you have your own story to come and share with us, then you too can also apply to be on the program via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply and we'd be more than happy to uh, to listen to you and give you that platform to share your story um mike once again thank you ever so much for taking the time to come on to the show and do take care and stay safe with all that's still going on And to every single one of our listeners tuning in again today, you've been tuning into the Leaders' Council podcast with your host, Scott Chaloner, and our guest interviewee today, Mike Legasic. To all, please do take care and goodbye until next time.